hey Joe, it's Saturday morning. How's it going? How was your week? It was it was a good week. I'm I had probably the most productive week I've ever had. We got a lot of projects done this week, and awesome. I'm just thrilled that it's Saturday. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> so Joe, I got a question that's been burning me inside all week. I think you're gonna love this. Okay. So if you store your thing on an iCloud mm -hmm. or on a cloud, mm -hmm. can you be hacked? Oh, good question. Good question. So it was about, gosh, I think maybe three years ago now. I'll have to go back and look at the date. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence yeah. had all of her pictures in the iCloud and she was hacked. Oh, wow. Like we're talking nude pictures for oh, Jennifer wow. Lawrence. They're, they're, they were all hacked. Then there were several other stars. Uh, their iCloud data was hacked. They they caught the guy. Um, basically, <coughs> the stars did not have good passwords. Okay. So this was nothing more, I don't think, than just someone um, guessing uh, creatively on what the stars' passwords were. Okay. Uh, but... The answer of that is the the cloud is is basically secured by your identity. Okay. So however strong your password is, um, all the data in the cloud is is as easy to access as the strength of your password. With one exception, you can turn on what's called multi-factor authentication or two-factor authentication where you get a text message. Mm-hmm. That adds quite a bit of security because then the hacker would have to basically have your phone, have your phone, or um, there's a couple of hacking techniques. One is called a SIM card swap, where they go into the AT and T store, they do a um, identity theft against you mm -hmm. by convincing AT and T that they're you. Oh wow! And they say, "Hey, I just uh, you know I, I need to move on to this new phone," so they basically. You know, get in there and convince them to, to, to move the phone number on a different phone. Interesting. And guess what? Guess where that text message goes? Yeah. It goes to that, that new phone. New phone. Right. So they have the password. Now they have a phone that can receive your text messages. No. So now they're able to get into that cloud account. Wow. So that actually happened to one of our employees. Oh, wow. Um, one of our employees got hacked that way. Um, the CEO of Twitter... Jack uh, Dorsey, I think. Oh, wow. His, his own uh, Twitter account was hacked um, about two months ago. So, yeah, if there's if something that a hacker really wants to do, they can... They can do it. They can do it. Okay. How secure is the iCloud? So, say, for instance, yeah. your computer system yeah. uh, at your company gets hacked, but you have everything on your cloud as your reserve. Is your is so if your computer system at your at your uh, job gets hacked, yeah. is your stuff on your cloud? Is that safe too? Or so it's <clears throat> it's only as safe as the the password because a lot of people use the same password at their work that they do for the cloud. cloud so right. once the hacker gets the work password, then they usually. The guess that at the against the cloud account and then they can go in there and delete that so that actually happened to a customer of mine 
um, they had what's called the Barracuda cloud backup. Mm-hmm. And Barracuda is famous for their email spam filter. You probably see their posters yeah. at the airport and stuff. You know, number one, the spam, all that stuff. And uh, they also make a, a backup device in the cloud. Well, the backup device in the cloud, you know, it's the same thing with iCloud. You know, if you know the username and password of the user, you can go in and delete those backups. So what, okay. what, what happened is the customer got hacked the hacker then logged into their Barracuda cloud and deleted the cloud backups. Oh, wow. And so the, after the hacker put the ransomware on the, all the machines, there was nothing they could do. They had no backup. They had to either pay the ransom or they lost all their data for all time, permanent data loss. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So uh, kind of transitioning from that yeah. into what is phishing what is malware what is a virus because you hear all three of those and i'm gonna be totally honest yeah i don't know yeah and i think (laughs) a lot of a lot of people don't know you know um and so this is perfect for this you know podcast this episode is to kind of get into you know terminology you know defining terms right so phishing basically is a form of social engineering it's basically someone trying to con or convince you um, that they're someone different than who they are. They're pretending to be someone different, and they're trying to basically convince you to do something that they want you to do. And so what they're doing is they're sending you uh, an email that will say, Hey, this is a, this is FedEx, uh, and uh, here's the link to track your package. And they're hoping you click on the link. If they can convince you to click on the link then that link is either going to take you to a website that has malware, like, uh, and we'll talk about what that is in a moment, or it's a link that's going to take you to a place that's going to try to convince you to type in your username and password. So they'll have a fake login screen, and you'll look at it, and you'll be like, okay, and you type in your username and password, and it's like, error, and you're like, oh, that's weird, and it doesn't work. Well, it didn't work because it wasn't a real login page. It just It just basically had a text form to capture your username and password, right? So right. that's um, so phishing basically is an email to convince you uh, to give away your username and password, and that's another way of how the hacker could have gotten to Jennifer Lawrence's iCloud account is if he sent her an email and he pretended he was Apple, and he said, "Hey, this is Apple. Your password has expired. Click here to reset your password." So she clicks on the link. She goes to his website, and on his website, it looks like Apple, you know, and she types in her iCloud username and password. So he's now recorded her password, and now he can log in as her because he, you know, he convinced her to click on it. So that's that's phishing. Phishing is usually to steal your username and password or okay. to try to get, you know, malware uh, down on your, on your uh, system. So um, the way I kind of think about it in my mind is like, Phishing is when it's like the attacker will send the email to a thousand people. And he, you know, it's kind of like, imagine you're in this, like, you're on this lake and there's a thousand fish in the lake. You you throw the, the lure in there. You're not really sure who's going to bite. All of a sudden someone clicks on the link. Now they, now they got you. So fishing, like, just imagine. Yes, you know, you're just reeling them in. They're, yeah, and and they don't know who's gonna they don't know who's gonna click on it. It's like a broad attack over a, a broad uh, base of people. Right. But the statistics are 
that anywhere from 20 to 50% of people will click on a link. Wow. So if, if the attacker sends it to, you know, 1,000 people, we're talking 200 to 500 people. That will click on that. That he's going to get their password. Wow. Yeah. It's that bad. And now I was, I, uh, I went up to a company in L.A. Uh, I think it was on Monday. And they basically told me that they have been able to get the click rate down to like 1%. And I said, how could, how do you do that? How do you get your click rate down to that low? And they said that they simulate phishing attacks to their employees. So they send their employees uh, phishing attacks. And if they click on the link, they train them. Oh, okay. say, no, that wasn't a real email. That was phishing. Be more careful. careful. Yeah. And because they've drilled that into their employees. Now they're looking for it. They're looking for it. And they're more careful on what they click on. So they went from a 50% click rate to a 1% click rate just by training and, and doing this over and over again, which is cool. That's, that's very interesting. Yeah. That they want that link. Now, we talked, I think, uh, in one of the previous episodes about one of the most famous hackers of all time, Kevin Mitnick. Yes. So his company is a phishing company. So when you hire his company, it's called Know Before, um, they help you send those phishing emails to your employees. Oh, okay. I see what he does. So you can train them. That's right. So his company focuses on education, uh, training you on to recognize those phishing emails. So imagine that this guy—he was in a federal prison, okay—and now he's a multimillionaire, teaching people the techniques that he did that got him in in prison. In prison, isn't that interesting? That's very interesting. Yeah, that's very interesting. <laughs> that that um, <clears throat> kind of you got to kind of know the tricks of a of a hacker, yeah, to understand what they're doing and what to look for. Because from what I heard, like some um, phishing. It could say FedEx, but it'll look weird. Sometimes it looks weird. Now, the the pros, the really, really good ones, yeah. you, you can't tell the difference. Oh, you can't tell the difference. No, they're, uh, uh, they have techniques that they do in the link, in the hyperlink, to, um, to make it so that when a user looks at it, it looks like a legit link. I mean, oh, wow. um, just to give you an idea how, how good they are, the, the Russian hackers... They were able to convince John Podesta, who was the, uh, I believe he was, wasn't he, the, he was the campaign manager for Hillary Clinton's Clinton, yeah. uh, campaign, right? So John Podesta. Um, John got this email from Google for, that looked like it was from Google. And it said that uh, there's, a, there's a problem with your password. We think you've been compromised. We need you to reset your password. Mm-hmm. So he thought Google was telling him, Hey, there's an issue here with security. <laughs> you got to fix this, right? So what does John do? He forwards it to his IT department. Says, "I'm not quite sure about this. Can you guys look into this?" He did. The IT department, the skilled pros, right? They look at the link and they're like, "Yeah, it looks good to us." They forward it back to him. They're like, "Yeah, it's good. We think you should probably click on this link." <laughs> oh wow! So he clicks on the link. And it's a phishing email, and he gives away his username and password to uh, this Russian hacking group. Now, what what did the uh, what did the hackers do? They bought a domain name um, with like zeros instead of O's. So oh, okay. it, so basically, um, 
to the naked eye on a computer, an O and a zero look extremely, extremely similar. So when it said Google.com, it looked like Google.com, but they they swapped out some characters. So um, even the IT department was fooled. Oh wow! Yeah. So now, after that incident happened, that was in uh, 2016, I believe. Yes. The uh, Google came out with something called a uh, security key, a physical key. Uh, we talked about that last week, right? Yeah. It's this little chip that you put in your computer, and when you click on a link, instead of typing in a username and password, you have to touch the key. And then the key, what it does is it looks at the link, and it compares it with what it's allowed to, to, to use. And if it's not a perfect match, it will not release the password. So this trick that, that the Russian hackers did that, that fooled even John Podesta's IT department, that would not work with a what's called a, a YubiKey or a FIDO2 security key. It has this thing called UTF, which stands for like unfishable um, authentication. Uh, Google rolled this out to, they, they uh, rolled it out to all their employees worldwide um, because they had an internal uh, phishing problem uh, against them too. They got hacked. So they rolled this out. They, they claim that they have not actually been hacked since then with these uh, physical keys. Jeez. They're about 20 bucks each. Um, it does take a little bit of training to show an employee how to use them because when you plug it in, you have to like register it. You have to go through like a little process. But once you do, um, that would have prevented uh, you know, yeah, Jennifer, Jennifer Lawrence. What? It would have prevented uh, John Podesta. Um, and uh, basically, it's... It's the best defense against phishing today. Um, not every website supports it. So Facebook, Twitter, uh, uh, they support it. But uh, the iCloud does not yet support it. So it, it's not yet fully well, adopted yeah. yet. You know. So the best guidance is like use the text messaging because that's better than nothing. nothing. That's better than just a password. But just know in the back of your head, you've got to be super careful because... You know, if someone really, you know, wants to get in there, they'll probably get in there. But at least with the the security key, man, I'm not aware of a way right now to um, that a phishing email would be able to defeat a security key. That right now, that's the best. That's yeah. the best. Awesome. Yeah. So my second uh, question is, what is malware? Mm. What is the difference between a malware and phishing? Yeah. So malware is is like what would be on the website. Uh, that the phishing email uh, wants you to download on your computer. So let's say you get the phishing email, you click on link, now you go to the website. The website, it's either A, it either wants your username and password like we talked about, like John Podesta and Jennifer Lawrence, or B, it wants you to download a program on your computer. Once the program's on your computer, it can do a lot of things. It can steal your passwords, like all your banking. Like if you do online banking, it can get those um, passwords from your web browser. You know how like when you go to a web browser and you fill in your password, it says, would you like to save your password? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Hackers can get those passwords. So if you get malware downloaded on your machine, all those passwords that you've saved in your web browser the hacker can get all those passwords to all those websites. That's very interesting. Now, um, that's why I think malware is actually more dangerous than um, 
uh, fishing. Um, but in order to get the malware on the machine, oftentimes uh, you have to click on that phishing email to download that malware. The other way that you can actually get malware is something called malvertising. Malvertising is when you go to a website. I'm going to bring uh, bring up an example of this here. Have you seen those advertisements that's, that's always like, this one crazy trick is only known by people in Irvine, California. Yeah. You know, and it has these like girls that are like handcuffed and it's, you know, have you seen those like ads where it's like, you know, this, yeah, this weird yeah. like dragon fruit and it's like this one fruit will, like a lot of those ads are um, what's called malvertising. It's an advertisement that takes you to a website that has malware uh, that will be downloaded to your computer. And um, so when you're on social media and you see ads, you don't want to click on the ads uh, because those are hackers who have rented, uh, not all the time, but many times, many of those are advertisements that have been rented by hackers. So hackers can rent ads to download. <laughs> so that's called malvertising. Malvertising. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's crazy, right? That's crazy that mm -hmm. they, they go to those lengths oh, yeah. to... Yeah, it's cheap. Those ads are not that not that expensive, and if you think about it, if they can get your banking password, they get a, what's called a return on investment. You know. Yeah. So the ad cost them twenty cents, and they were able to do a five hundred dollar transfer out of your. And a lot of the times, what they do on those banking transfers, they'll do ten dollar transfers or five dollar transfers because you won't notice. Yeah. You know, when you look at your checking account at the end of the month, a little $5 fee, you're like, oh, maybe I went to the gas station and bought a Snickers. I don't really know. Yeah. So they'll do that for years. And if they do that for 100 people times five bucks a month, I mean, they're doing okay. They're you know? doing great. And so they just, they pepper those ads out there, hoping people click on those. So one of the things I wanted to kind of talk about today is that, um, like if you if you imagine a line being drawn down the middle, you have the good guys and you have the bad guys. And so for every one of these concepts, um, there's a you know uh, there's two sides to it, right? And in in security, we call the um, the good guys, the defenders, the blue team. The, and that's the term used. So you'll hear blue bl the blue team. Right. The blue team are the defenders. They're the good guys. Okay. The red team, they're the ones pretending to be the hacker so that the blue team can be better prepared so that when there's a real hacker, they've kind of seen the techniques and tactics and procedures. And they know what to defend. They know what to defend against. So the red team, they're constantly <clears throat> learning about the latest hacking techniques. They're constantly... Um, you know, there's like a certification called offensive security and there's, you know, you can go in and, and get this, uh, certificate, um, you know, to be a certified ethical hacker, for example. And so that, that would be a position as a red team, uh, member in, in an IT department. Um, those people will also be called penetration testers. You know, they're constantly trying to hack in, right? Right. So, like, when we think about, like, just the terminology, you know, the blue team, they have to basically uh, be able to study red team activity to defend against it. The red team, they have to study the defensive capabilities so that they can learn how to defeat those things. 
So it's all about knowledge. It's all about gaining knowledge on, you know, um, both sides. So each side has to learn the other side right. to, to be able to battle. Right. Uh, some companies, um, Microsoft, for example, uh, I went up to their cybersecurity center. So they have a dedicated facility um, that is basically like, um, like this, you know, like this room here. And there's computers and there's people sitting around all these monitors and they're just constantly looking at hack attempts. Once a year at Microsoft, they unleash the red team against Microsoft. And the blue team never knows when it's going to happen. But it's hap- But It's, gonna it's happen. going to happen once a year. And it's a, it's a legit attempt by the red team to go, to go at Microsoft. And the blue team's not allowed uh, to know when it's going to happen. And they won't know if it's the red team or a real hacker. That way they're always on the lookout for, uh, for hackers. Because they know that their red team is going to be attacking them. So they're constantly looking for them. Because they don't want to fail that. Yeah, they don't want to fail that. <laughs> so that is having your posture up and ready on guard. You All know? the time. Can you imagine like, if you're like defending your home, right? And if you knew, actually, the Bible talks about this, right? Jesus says that if, um, you know, the man knew when the robber would come break in his house, you know, he, he would stay up all night. He'd, he'd be, like, ready to defend, you know? And so that's, like, the, the, the blue team at Microsoft. They're ready to go all the time. They're constantly looking for the attack, you know? Yeah, they're prepared for, for any attack, and they don't... Well, I think, I can imagine the blue team don't care who it is. If, it, if it's the red team or that's if it's right. a... Con- Real hacker. They know they have to defend that. That's right. Wow, that's very interesting. That's interesting, right? That is interesting. And that is that is by definition the mark of I think a mature um, company's security posture. If a company is at that level, then um, you know they, there's that's the highest level you can you can get really get to in security is when you have those two formal teams doing war games against each other. You're gonna have a pretty tight. Uh, system absolutely but if you look so outside of companies like google and microsoft we say we will take like a company like ford or yeah or, um, um uh, we could take a company like kellogg how would they defend against you know cyber attacks and yeah and stuff like that? i know they have an it uh, the, it department yeah great question a lot of these companies um do have uh, dedicated cybersecurity people on staff, but many of them, if not most of them, also augment or completely outsource cybersecurity to a third party, uh, what's called a security operations center. So the, the security operations center, um, basically it's a, it's a room full of people that are constantly looking at the alerts coming in. So an alert would be basically a, an event where, um, Someone is trying to send phishing emails to all your employees, and so the the analyst they see all they see all these emails and they go, oh, this isn't good. We're being targeted, you know. And so, if the company like the Kellogg or the Ford, if they don't have someone sitting and looking at the monitor, looking at those threats, twenty four seven, right? So typically, it's it's four shifts. I didn't know that. Yeah, so it's and 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 usually um, it's it's not uncommon for 
there those four shifts to be at different data centers around the world so that that way those employees can work during uh, daylight hours. So that's sometimes called follow the sun support. So, you know, as the sun moves around the, the globe, it hits India. So it's like eight o'clock there. That's, you know, that's nighttime here. And then as the sun moves around, then it hits our data center and then they take over. So there's right. like data centers around the world. world. They're, just, they're and, just constantly. And they're just constantly looking uh, for those threats. So um, you can outsource your security operations center um, so that that way as a company, you're not having to hire and find the security people and staff them 24-7. Yourself, yeah. Yeah, it, it's hard to find people that are willing to uh, look at a monitor all day, looking at all the alerts. Ironically, that's one of the things I also want to talk about maybe on next episode, which is how to get into uh, a security career. That's the entry-level position, is to be looking at the alerts. The SOC analyst is one of the one of the easiest entry-level possession positions to get into in IT. I think I mentioned on the last one of the last episodes, um, I mentored a gentleman who uh, got a job uh, with no experience, uh, no previous IT experience at all, and he got a job as a SOC analyst for um, one of the uh, most respected government institutions in the United States. Uh, he's been there about a year. And he just got a job offer for a sixty percent pay increase. That's that's a blessing. That's amazing. Isn't that isn't that that's, yeah fantastic? Oh, so awesome. if you put in the time on that first, um, you know, just a year in, and and you do really well, you know, and you learn, then your options really open up. Then they grow. Yeah. And my guidance to him is, you know, when I first met him, I said, look, put in a year there. You know, don't leave before that because that's not going to look good on your resume that you're hopping around. Put in a solid year and, you know, check your options. I mean, you may love it where you're at. You may you may love your manager and your team and, and you may see a, an amazing career path to stay where you are. That's fine. You don't have to leave. But, you know, if you put in a solid year and then you check your options in the market, see what's out there. And sure enough, he did and, and he got a, you know, offer for a 60% pay increase. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's that's awesome. So um, I know last year uh, I was working for the Marriott. And I don't know if you heard about that big fishing attack that happened to them. I did. I, I know a little bit about it. Yeah. Yeah. So I was working there at the time and they were all scrambling around. Yeah. And I don't. And so I know our ID, IT department was in South Carolina. So mm-hmm. I, if I had, you know. Change my password or whatever. I had to contact them and, you know, let them um, uh, get on my computer and do the thing. And then, mm-hmm. but they didn't know my password, so right. I had to put my own password in. But, right. but yeah. So I remember that big one that hit Marriott, where, where yeah. they were afraid that customers' uh, data was uh, access. It was accessible. Yeah. So the thing that I remember about the Marriott breach is what made that breach make headlines was that the hackers had been in there for three or four years. years. And they didn't know it. And they didn't know. And that's 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 <clears throat> uh, pretty unique. The average amount of... Um, when, it, when a hacker makes it inside of a company like Marriott, the number of days is called the dwell time. So the dwell time average is 200 days before they're caught. 
So three years is highly abnormal. Wow. But it's not. But it's not actually the record. The record, as far as I know, is Citrix. Citrix is a software company that um, we learned in February of last year that um, by the FBI that Citrix had been um, breached by Iran for ten years. What? For ten years. Ten years. Ten years. And it was because Iran, they, they didn't care about Citrix. What they cared about was that Citrix was selling software to the Department of Defense and the White House. Yeah, so yeah, so they, so, they, they were nervous about Iran getting into the White House. Yeah, so Iran, they couldn't attack the White House directly. So they got in indirectly by hacking Citrix's software. And so when the White House bought the Citrix software, the software that had now had the Iranian code got installed and that allowed the Iranians to get into those networks. That's crazy. Because they had, they had actually, you know, implanted software inside of the Citrix software. 10 years. So sometimes you can get in a, a, a virus can, or a malware can get into your computer and it could just be there so long that you don't even recognize it. That's right. Some of, some of the malware can basically go to sleep and wake up when the attacker wants it to. Okay. So, um, <clears throat> Basically, they're, um, you know, let's talk about the difference between, like, um, you know, a malware and a virus. Yeah. Yeah. What is the difference between those? So, the, the, original, the original kind of term was virus. Yes. That, that's kind of the historical term uh, for um, code that an attacker writes to execute something uh, that's unauthorized, something you as the computer owner don't want to have happen. Uh, so it's malicious. And that, that's where uh, malware gets its name. It's, it's, it's malicious software. So uh, the terms are often used interchangeably, to be honest with you. Malware, virus. virus. Um, uh, you know, viruses typically spread. Yeah. Um, meaning that... Malware may be designed for that one computer and it doesn't spread from machine to machine. A virus uh, typically has the capability of spreading to other machines on its own. And when it does that, it's called a worm. So, oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. So uh, think about malware as like a standalone PC and it's, it's just going to take over that PC. It's not going to spread to another computer. A virus has the capability of spreading, uh, for example, from a USB drive to USB drive, that would be a virus. So you plug in USB, the virus loads itself, and then you're like, hey, I got this game. You give it to a friend, now it's on his machine, that would be a virus. Now, when, when it actually goes over the network and attacks all the machines on the Wi-Fi network, that would be a worm because it's, it's, it's more network-based than, say, USB-based. So that's... You know, basically a, a decent understanding of, of the three. Of oh, the three. Terms. Yeah. Okay. Wow. I didn't know. The most devastating <laughs> worm that you probably heard of was called WannaCry. So WannaCry um, happened in 2017, and it spread to like 300,000 machines in the first hour or something. 
you know, <laughs> it was like, it spread very, very quickly. We talked about, uh, Marcus, um, was the guy who found the back door to stop the spread of it. Yeah. And then remember the, uh, you know, he was indicted by the FBI. Um, yeah, because they felt that he spread it. Well, they, they, they didn't think he spread it, but they actually recognized that he had written some previous code that uh, he, he wrote like a banking Trojan, uh, allegedly, um, that would uh, be able to steal your banking passwords. Oh, wow. So he wasn't responsible for WannaCry. He was actually the hero who stopped WannaCry. But then he, he. But then, but then the FBI was like, "Huh, something fishy about this guy." Yeah. So then they look. <laughs> they look deep in him, and they're like, "Hey, you're busted. We we think you wrote this." Now he's sitting there like, "Man, I just helped." Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. I get he it. literally. So he lived in England, and he flew here to like to a security conference, and they wouldn't let him leave the country. So he's still here now. Uh, you know, good question. I don't know the status of his current case. But he's active on Twitter. So unless our prison system lets people use phones, you know. I don't so, think so. Right? So I think he's probably either on probation or, or you know. Because it, it wasn't like a violent crime or anything, you know. Like no. the, the big malware. is more like a, you know, they call it a white collar crime, right? So, yeah. Yeah, nowadays. It, they might change that in, in the future because I think. Right. I think since uh, everything is getting more. Yeah computerized I, I got a feeling they're going to change that law yeah especially now like if ransomware is taken out of hospital you know now we're talking about actually affecting people's lives, lives. right right so, yeah yeah exactly yeah. you know someone can die from that yeah so. yeah it's not just money yeah so um yeah so how do you first start um becoming a cyber cybersecurity um Person. How do you get into cybersecurity? How do you get into it? What's the first thing you should do, or I should do? Because since I'm starting, yeah. What's the first thing that I should do? So that's actually. Why don't we do the next episode? Why don't we dedicate it to that? Mm-hmm. And so this would probably be, you know, uh, a good good point to kind of wrap this episode up. Kind of wrap. So this next up. week we'll talk about how to get into cybersecurity. Yeah, let's do that. So hey, listeners. Have a good day. Thank you. And to the next episode. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.